Oh, holy God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, as I start this sermon, I want to start with a weird analogy, which I know is going to throw everybody off, me starting with a weird analogy. Uh, The kingdom of God is like Pittsburgh, as in the city of Pittsburgh. Um, I would tell you, I've never actually been to Pittsburgh. Uh, I've heard people talk about it. uh, And when I say the kingdom of God is like Pittsburgh, I don't mean that it has a lot of bridges. Although quite honestly, I do think it probably has more bridges than walls. Uh, But my dad once went to Pittsburgh. And he loved to tell this story about how the city is just a little bit wonky and how it's a little bit difficult to navigate if you've never been there before. I'm seeing some nods. But he recalled one trip to Pittsburgh in general that always stuck with me. He, he said he was heading to a tall building in downtown Pittsburgh and he could see the building from where he was. He could see it. As in he could say, I'm going to that building. And he asked the attendant at a gas station, how do I get there? And according to my dad, who never told a fib in his life, the attendant told him with a straight face, oh, you can't get there from here. What, you can't get there, it's right there, I can see it. But this is what I I mean by the kingdom of God is like Pittsburgh. You can see it, you may even know something about it and what it's like, and yet we can't get there from here. So maybe I could use a more familiar analogy. The kingdom of God is like trying to get to the soldiers and sailors monument in downtown Indianapolis when there's a bunch of road construction going on. And you can look up and you can see the victory statue staring down at you, but you keep getting directed onto roads that aren't going there. I did this once when my parents visited I kept telling them about how cool this monument was and there was particularly bad construction and we finally just gave up. We're just not gonna make it. We're not gonna get there. So today's parable is about being prepared. Today's parable is about seeing where we're trying to go and knowing we can't quite get there, but doing something about it. Because the truth of the gospel is that we know that Jesus will come back, that there will be a day of God's reign, a day of a kingdom, and we can't quite get there without him. The question is, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do with our lives while we're waiting? So today's parable is going to tell us that while we can't quite get to the wedding feast, we can prepare. So let's listen to our reading today from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten young women took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those young women got up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are running out. 
But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the other young women came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. May God bless this reading. All right, another parable, another image of what the kingdom will be like based on a familiar image to the people reading this text. And a wedding feast has often been used as an image of what it will look like when Christ comes back. In fact, in the Gospel of John, the first miracle Jesus performs is at a wedding, the wedding of Cana. Almost as though he is saying, hey, look, the kingdom has arrived in some form. But our verse today, Matthew 25, comes in a, a collection of passages. Verse, chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew take a kind of turn in the gospel. They are what scholars would call eschatological. Try saying that four times fast. Eschatological is a fancy way of saying about the end times, about the end of the world. Eschaton means the end. So suddenly the gospel is concerned with what it will be like when Jesus returns and the final judgment is underway. So this section begins with the passage that we are familiar with, the thief in the night. Jesus uses this image to let us know about the end times about when the end of the world and the final judgment will arrive. And followers of Jesus know that this day will come when God comes and initiates the final judgment. But we don't really know what day it is. And in fact, Jesus makes really clear it will be like a thief in the night. You won't see it coming. So anybody who predicts the day, be cautious. Lots and lots of folks have predicted the day, and we're still here. But our passage comes next in this sequence. We are being warned to prepare. Don't put off getting ready. You can hear it, these these bridesmaids who are called to wait on the bridegroom who has been delayed. There are two groups we hear about, the wise and the foolish. And in English, these words often are about our intellect, right? Wise means smart, and foolish means, let's just say, not smart. But the Greek words are actually less about intellect, and they're more about making the right prudent decision. And this might sound like it's the same thing to us, but then you have to remember that smart people can make the wrong decision. And people who aren't smart can make the right decision. And what this parable is warning about is making the right decision and how you decide to prepare. Because it is time to get ready, according to the parable. It is time to live for the kingdom which is not here yet, and which, but yet which is coming. So be wise, make the right decisions and how you choose to live. 
And don't wait too long to get started. So there's this message in this parable about waiting. The bridegroom has been delayed. But it is not a message of a passive waiting. It is a message of a kingdom that is not here yet, but at the same time is all around you. So the foolish person decides to put it off. There will be time for the kingdom when Jesus comes back and restores everything. Maybe they say something like, I don't need to live for the coming, but I can live for myself and wait. But what the parable is saying is that that is foolish. So how do we make prudent decisions as far as the kingdom is concerned? How do we know what it looks like to be prepared in our own lives? This is where the next passage comes in. And I don't want to get too far into this next passage because it's the scripture for next week. And I have to preach a whole other sermon on that. But Matthew 25 ends with this very familiar passage that I talk about a lot, where Jesus tells his followers exactly what he looks like. You know what the kingdom looks like. Whenever you see someone who is hungry and you feed them, you have fed me. Whenever you see someone who is thirsty and you give them a drink, you have given me a drink. When you see someone who is a stranger and you have welcomed them, then you have welcomed me. You see, we're not in the kingdom yet, but you can see it from here. While there remains poverty and hunger and exclusion, the kingdom isn't here. We know that because those things will not exist in the kingdom. But you can do something about it now. You can't do all of it. We can't bring the kingdom to fruition, but you can be prepared. You can do some of the work. And there's always been something about Christianity that says that we are waiting on God to do something. We are waiting on God to initiate the kingdom, to carry out the final judgment, to set things right. God is going to do something, and part of being Christian is simply the waiting faithfully waiting. And yet we know in the process of that waiting, we are called to get ready, to prepare ourselves, to do the work of making straight the paths. I've seen this refrigerator magnet, and I think it's a coffee cup too, that says, Jesus is coming, look busy. Kind of that kind of a message. And this preparation isn't really new. It's something that goes back to the earliest times of Jesus and of the earliest Christians. There was a book that came out a couple years ago recently that's called After Jesus Before Christianity, Uh, which may sound odd, right? Like, well, of course Christianity is after Jesus. But in the earliest days of the church, following Jesus' death, there wasn't ever one church. There were many churches. There were lots of communities. And in fact, in this brief period after Jesus and before the establishment of the Christian church, most of these people considered themselves Jewish. And then you add in the fact that 
the Bible doesn't become the Bible until the fourth century, you have almost 300 years in which there isn't a, a unifying book. So people heard the story of Jesus through oral preaching, or maybe they were one of the lucky churches that had a copy of an early gospel or a letter from Paul. Like if you were in a church in Galatia, you might actually have the copy of the letter to the Galatians that Paul wrote. But there was no printing press at this time. There was no way to get the message to everybody in the same way. And so the authors of this book are trying to figure out what were these communities like? What did they do? They were all different. There was more diversity than there was similarity. But they had these traits that were common in all the Christian communities. And so this book gives a list of some of the things that they shared. So here are a few. The first one fits with the sermon series really well. Uh, they resisted the Roman Empire. They announced a Lord who was not Caesar. And they announced that they were living in a kingdom that was not Rome. And second, they practiced what the book calls gender bending, which you got to understand a little bit. In Rome, there were very strict gender roles. There were very strict things that men did and women did. And Christians kind of ignored them. They empowered women to take roles of power and authority. And you can see this as early as the New Testament. Paul talks about his apostle, Junia. Paul sends the letter of the Romans to the church with a follower of his named Phoebe. There are these women throughout all of the New Testament who are serving in roles of power and authority. These early Christians broke with traditional family systems and created their own families, chosen families, their brothers and sisters in Christ. And what we also know from these early Christian communities is that they practiced a radical kind of compassion, that they were known for caring for the poor in their communities. When I read all these, I can't help but think about the bridesmaids, not because it has anything to do with setting up for a wedding, but because it has this sense that they are living in a world that is new, that they are living in a world in which things are not the same. The early Christians, they knew that Jesus would come back someday, that he would bring the kingdom to fruition. But they didn't think that they had to sit back and wait. Rather, they knew that the kingdom was coming and that it was time to start getting ready. So the New Testament tells us a little bit about what the kingdom will look like. And you hear this in the letter to the Galatians. There will be no more male and female, Jew and Greek, slave or free. So we know that in the kingdom, people will not be separated by creed or gender or race. We know that in Christ, we are all one family. And in fact, this statement in Galatians is actually believed to be part of an early baptismal creed. As in early Christians, when they were baptized, believed that they were dying to their old life and being born in a new one. And in this new one, you were committing to living a different way, as though there were no gender or ethnicity or race or economic status that could separate us. And of course, 
That won't really be true until Jesus comes back. But that doesn't mean you can't get started now. You know, you can't have a wedding without the bridegroom, but you also can't have a wedding without the decorations. Likewise, you can't have the kingdom without the Lord. And we can't do anything about that. We're waiting. But you also can't have the kingdom without restored relationships, without more love and grace, without justice. And so we Christians are waiting for Jesus' return, but there is also work that we can do to get ready. So can you see why the kingdom is like navigating in Pittsburgh? Does it make sense now? You can see where we're trying to get to. We have a whole book of testimonies about what Jesus and his kingdom was about. We know that it's good news to the poor and release to the captives. We hear how his earliest followers lived. We hear how they empowered the powerless. We read how they shared their resources in common, how they cared for the poor. We read how they announced a different Lord, one who is not like the lords of this world. And so we have to ask, how are we living? What are we about? What is it that we are called to be and to do? Another thing we know about these earliest churches is that uh, many of these early churches weren't in Christianity, weren't all that concerned about growing so much as they were about living. I've read a, another book about the early church recently called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And in it, it talks about these early communities that set out to live a very intentional way as though the kingdom was near. And they would do things like care for the folks in their community who needed help. They would do things like practice love between themselves. And what we know about the early church is that it never grew very fast. It's kind of remarkable, actually, that it grew at all. If you think about the stories of the martyrs, those who stood up for the faith and were killed for it. But these churches let their lives together be a testimony to their community. So you would see these churches and you would go, they're living in a way that is different, that is hopeful, that speaks to the challenges I have in life. And over the course of several hundred years, they would grow by people saying, I want to live that way too. I want to be a part of that coming kingdom. And in the end, it was their way of life. It was their caring for the poor across the Roman Empire. It was their challenging of injustice. It was all of those things that led people to join these communities. These early churches didn't think they had to wait to get started. So how are we getting ready? We are now the bridesmaids waiting on the bridegroom. Are we bidding our time, putting off, making preparations for the wedding feast? Are we saying to ourselves, well, I can do that later? Or are we getting ready? Are we preparing the way? Amen.